Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and with their... Sorry, with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and heal with their ears, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Now, if you remember from our study last week, Jesus has been teaching many things to people who had followed him to the shore of the sea. But he did most of his teaching using parables. Look again at chapter 13 here. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables. And then he wanted to do the parable of the soils. Go over to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll see Mark's account in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And then he went on and taught the parable of the soils. A parable is an analogy in the form of a story. Its purpose is to teach, but it needs an explanation. He'll use an analogy in the form of a story, but for a parable to be understood, there needs to be the explanation with it. Jesus had been using analogies prior or parables prior to this, but he would give the explanation in his teaching to the crowd. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Go to Matthew chapter uh, 5. Look at verses 13 through 16. <clears throat> in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, you'll see Jesus use a parable, but he'll explain the parable at the same time. In Matthew 5, 13, Jesus says, You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on its stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we see Jesus use the parable, your salt, your light. But then he explains what he's talking about. But it, it changes here in Matthew 13, as you're about to see, where he only speaks in parables and he doesn't explain it. Now, some of you say, wait a minute, Jim. In Matthew 13, he explained the parable of the soils. Yes, but if you remember from our study, that explanation took place not in front of the crowds that were all there, but in private. Go back to Mark chapter uh, 4 and look at verses 10 through 12. In Mark's account, we see it very, very clearly that this section that we're studying tonight in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17, happened in private with Jesus and his disciples. In Mark 4, look at verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may Indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, actually, as like I just touched on, I'm going to show you from Scripture, from this point forward, Jesus only talks to the nation of Israel in parables, but without the explanation in the mass teaching. Let me show you what I mean. The Scripture backs this up. You're in Mark 4. Look at verses 33 and 34. In Mark 4, 33 and 34, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So to the masses, he uses just the parable. But when he's in private with his disciples, he explained the parables. Go back to Matthew 13 and look at verses 34 and 35. 
In Matthew 13, verse 34, it says, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables indeed. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. By the way, that's a quote from Psalm 78 if you want to go look at it later on. So here we see that from this point forward, he only talks to them in parables. But the explanation is not given to the masses, only to his disciples in private. Now, I'm going to make some statements here that are going to give some of us a bellyache. And I want you to stick with me. I don't want you to assume that you know where I'm going. I don't want you to hear what I say and immediately put me into a certain box of one of those kind of preachers. We're going to deal with this biblically, honestly, from the whole of Scripture. And I want to be faithful and true to the Word of God. But because of this problem that exists in Christendom, where there are those that are out there teaching that God's chosen ahead of time, I'm only going to save these people and I'm not going to save those people. When we start dealing with what we're talking about tonight, because as we've seen very clearly, Jesus says, to you it's been given, to them it's not been given. Actually, um, it's hidden from them. We have a problem with what Jesus has said here, and it's caused a lot of us to have a bellyache over the years. I hope by the end of the night you'll realize it makes full sense, and it's not what you thought he was saying. But it does appear that Jesus is intentionally trying to give spiritual truth to some people and keep it from others. Correct? Is that not what we just read here? He's intentionally giving spiritual truth to some people and keeping it from others. He is. Don't put me in one of those boxes yet. Stick with me. Scripturally, by the way, I'm going to show you this. It's always been that way. Scripturally, all throughout the scriptures, it's been that way that God has said, I will give spiritual truth to some and I won't to others. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Go to James chapter 4 and look at verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. In James 4, 6 it says, But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore it said, God says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see very clearly that God will oppose those who are proud. He'll give grace to who? To the people that are humble. So in other words, he'll work and bless and, and work in the favor of those who are humble. He'll work against those who are proud. Go to um, Exodus chapter 33. Go all the way back to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to look at verses 12 through 19. Exodus 33, verses 12 through 19. Now Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. When Moses is talking to God and he said, look, you said I found favor with you and you're going to go with me, but could you, could you show me your ways? And God says, I will. And then he said, well, I want to see your glory. And God says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. You couldn't handle all of me because you'll die. But I'll let my goodness pass in front of you. And when he declared his name and he let his goodness pass, he said, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Again, don't put me in any box yet. Stick with me. We see very clearly that the scripture has taught all along that God determines who gets mercy and who gets grace. Does not the Bible teach that? By the way, who gets mercy and who gets grace? The humble. 
Did you hear the humble attitude of Moses? He said, look, if you don't go with us, don't even send us out from here. I can't do this without you. I need you to be the one who does this. The only thing that will make us any different from anybody else is the fact that you'll be with us. We need you. I need you. And that's the heart that God responds to. It's always been that way. As you're about to see, God loves everyone and God wants everyone to be saved. And everyone has an opportunity to be saved, even though there are some that teach that's not true. But I want to show you scripturally that is not the case. The biblical truth is everyone has an opportunity to be saved. But at the same time, God has already preset it that he will give grace and mercy to the humble. Those who show their need, it's always been that way. Has God chosen to give salvation to some and not give it to others? Good answer. Yes. We don't want to say that, do we? Because it sounds like we're becoming one of those Calvinists. No. The Bible's very clear. God gives salvation to some and not to others. But it's available to everyone. But listen, they must meet God's requirements in order to receive it. And that's why God gives salvation to some and not to others. It's available to all, and we're going to show you scripture that deals with that. Go ahead. Isn't that just another way of saying he already knows the future? And knows the he definitely knows the future, but at the same time, that doesn't, we could say, well, he already knows the future, so he's only going to draw the people he knows will be saved. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. He knows those who have said yes. He, well, he definitely knows that as well, but it's not, I'm going to be gracious to you because I know you'll say yes. He, you see what I'm saying? As much as he's omniscient, he still gives man the choice. And he responds to man's response. And you'll see this lay it out all through tonight. Go with me to Ezekiel. I know that made a few of you just cringe a little bit when I said Ezekiel. But let me just say to you, for those of you that thought we were in Ezekiel for a very, very long time, we've actually been in Matthew longer than we've been, we were in Ezekiel. And we're coming up on two years that we've been in Matthew, and we're only at chapter 13. And some of you are saying, well, when are we going to be done with Matthew? Let me ask you a quick question. Why are you in a hurry to be done with Matthew? And second of all, are you ready to go get back to a book like Ezekiel or something like that? You better be happy with, with Matthew. All right. So Ezekiel, shake off the shakes. Go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Look at verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to stay in that chapter. Ezekiel 18. Look at verses 1 through 4 to start with. The word that came to me. And this you that is coming up in the next verse is plural. What do you or y'all mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? And then the people of Israel would say this. They'd say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Now jump over to verse 21 in the same chapter. God continues and he says, but if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him for the righteousness that he has done. He shall live. And then he asks this question. He says, shall, have, I, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Oh, and by the way, God answers that question in verse 32. Go down to verse 32. He says, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. So God has already laid it out. Hey, I have all souls belong to me and the soul that sins, it should die and it's going to die. But if a man turns from his wickedness, he can live. And do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, I don't. I want everyone to come. We, we don't have to turn there, but you can write it down in your notes if you want to double check me. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we love to quote. And it's a great passage to quote. And the fact that God says, what? He says, I'm not, he's not slow concerning his promise of returning. He's patient, not wanting what? Anyone. anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. The Bible's very clear that God wants all to be saved. Go to uh, 1 John chapter 2. Book of 1 John, chapter 2, look at verse 2. Because there are those out there that are teaching that Jesus' death on the cross was only for the people who were going to be saved. That's not what the Bible teaches, though. In 1 John, chapter 2, verse 2, the scripture says, He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for everybody, folks. 
Does that mean anybody's going to heaven? No. Uh, his salvation is available to everyone, but they must meet his requirements in order to receive it. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 10. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Jesus died for everybody, folks. Does Jesus want some people to go to heaven and other people to go to hell? No, he wants everyone to go to heaven. But at the same time, he'll only give insight and grace and mercy to those who meet the requirements. And the requirements, as, you're see, as we've seen so far, is humbleness. Now, I know you were already in Ezekiel, and you don't want to go back, but I'm going to make you go back one more time. Go back to Ezekiel. Actually, I'm going to make you go back twice. But go back to Ezekiel. Go to 33 this time, chapter 33, and then put a bookmark there, because you're going to come back to Ezekiel 33 in a little bit. Ezekiel 33, look at verse 11. Ezekiel 33, look at verse 11. God's again speaking. And he says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? I mean, it can't be any more clear than that, folks. He doesn't want them to die. He doesn't want them to perish. He wants them to have eternal life. He's even begging them. God himself is saying, turn back. Turn back. Think about that for a minute. The God of the universe is pleading with Israel. Turn back. Turn back. Why would you die, O house of Israel? But what are God's requirements for salvation, though? Does anybody know what God's requirements are for salvation according to the scriptures? Definitely. That's the second part. What's the first part? Repentance. Repentance. An acknowledgement of your sin and your condition that is not holy and not right before God, that you're guilty as if you broke all his commandments, according to James 2.10, that you understand that you are a sinner separated from God because of your sin, but you also understand his love for you and his provision for your sin through his own son who lived the life that you couldn't live, his sinless life. He was put to death on your behalf. He rose from the dead by his own power. And the Bible says that if you acknowledge your sin, repent, grieve over that sin, and then by faith respond to what God has provided for you in salvation, you'll be saved. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's what Jesus has been teaching all along, all the way up to where we are in Matthew 13. Go back to Matthew 5, and let me just walk you through it real quick. We're going to look at Matthew 5, Matthew 11. And we're actually going to jump ahead to a couple of chapters in Matthew that are coming up as well. But go to Matthew chapter 5. Let me just remind you of what we looked at a couple years ago in Matthew chapter 5. And look at verses 2 through 6. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Here Jesus had laid out to them, blessed are the ones who realize they're spiritually bankrupt, who are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who mourn or grieve because of that. See, there's people that would say, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I think it's all right. I think when I stand before God, he's going to weigh my good and my bad. I'm going to be okay. By the way, that person may acknowledge that they have a sin problem, but they also say it's not that much of a problem. Is that repentance? It's not repentance. And then he also says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, Blessed are those who not only realize they have a spiritual problem, who grieve over it, and also realize that their only way it's going to be fixed is if it comes from outside of them. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at what Jesus had told us as we looked at chapter 11. I'm going to just remind you of it, verses 25 through 27. At that time, Jesus declared, and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have handed over, been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Isn't that interesting? First off, he says, Father, thank you that you've hidden this from the wise and the understanding, but you've revealed it to children. This is your gracious will. Does anybody understand why Jesus said that? Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. In this room, I'm sure there are all different levels of people in your intellect. You may look at me and the way that God's gifted me with the scriptures and think that I'm super smart. I'm really not. Timothy asked me earlier tonight, he goes, were you good at science? No. Were you good at math? No. Some of you have engineering backgrounds and you understand stuff and can do math. And Chris looks at computers and can uh, the coding and all that stuff makes my head hurt. But that's a gracious thing that spiritual truth is not revealed to those who are smart enough to figure it out because... There are going to be some of us who have an advantage over other people in the room. But he's made it so that everybody can understand spiritual truth. Because it's revealed to people that are humble enough to say, like a child, I need help. If I were to ask some of you, hey, what were your grades in school? Some of you would be wanting to tell me. I had straight A's or I was on the honor roll or summa cum laude or whatever that stuff is. <laughs> but if I asked some of you, you'd say, next question. My son is finishing his last year at UCF this year. I'm just bragging on the fact that we're about to finish our last of kids going to college. I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to eat out pretty soon. It's going to be awesome. But AJ's been very famous at telling us, Dad and Mom, if you're expecting me to go to graduate school, please don't. And he's told us, C's get degrees. You know what? He's very intelligent, but at the same time, school and learning isn't his thing. But God doesn't reveal spiritual truth to those who can figure it out. And by the way, I'm sure many of you know people that are trying to understand spiritual truth by thinking and figuring it out. It's never understood that way. And Jesus reveals the Father to those he chooses to reveal the Father to. Who does he choose to reveal the Father to? The humble. Those who, like children, say, I need help. Would you help me tie my shoe? I can't see over the counter at the bank. Could you pick me up so I could see? I can't do, can't clean that room all by myself. I need help. Those who are acknowledging of the, didn't that sound just like Moses when he said, don't expect me to do this unless you go with me. I can't do this without you. Those are the people that get the grace of God, and God reveals spiritual truth. Now, you got to stick with me here, because we're about to get deeper. Go to Acts chapter 2, though. Look at verses 36 through 41. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, this is the end of the sermon at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's been preaching through Peter at the end of his sermon, he says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. As you're going to see in just a little bit, there's a level of God's opening eyes that is basic for the whole world. And everyone has a choice and whether or not they're going to respond to that. But as you're going to see in our study tonight... If you don't respond properly to that, you don't get the next level of understanding that God gives to those who are humble. There's actually levels of God opening your eyes. It's not all at once. That's why the Bible says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. But doesn't the Bible say in Romans chapter 3 verse 11 that no one seeks him? You see, folks, I'm going to let you see from Scripture, and it's going to make Matthew 13 come alive. What happens is this, is God has revealed himself to the whole world, first through creation and many other ways. And he says, I'm here, but I want you to respond to this level of drawing that I've given you and come find me and search for me. There are some that don't respond to that, even though they knew what God said, but they'd rather just stay in their sin and just stay in their condition. They don't want God in their life, and they don't even respond to that. 
But there are those who then respond and say, I want to know God. And God, as you'll see tonight, gives them another level of opening of eyes. The Father chooses to reveal to them who Jesus is. But that doesn't mean those people are automatically saved either. As you're going to see tonight, they, they still have to respond and believe. And so tonight, what we thought was hard is going to hopefully become very, very clear. Because at this point right now, Jesus is speaking to a nation of people who had put their faith in their own righteousness. He's been revealing spiritual truth to them for a while. Remember how we studied earlier as he taught in Galilee, the prophecy had said the people along the shore have seen a great light. He'd revealed to them. We've already looked earlier in our study at how he said those people that seek for a sign or an adulterous generation. He's been revealing light and truth to them all along. But they said, no, we would like a miracle. We'd like another sign. And all along, they've had light given to them and they're not responding. Why? Because they're putting their faith in their own righteousness. Go to Matthew 22. As you're turning to 22, stop in verse eight, chapter 18. Go to Matthew 18, look at verses 1 through 4. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, where's that word again? Humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you don't humble yourself and become like a child and acknowledge your need from, some out, from outside of you, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Go to chapter 22. In chapter 22, look at verses 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite uh, to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and, and gathered all of whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, back in this day, when you were invited to a wedding feast, the way that you were welcomed into the wedding feast is when you showed up, the, the master of the wedding feast would give you a garment to put on. They had garments ready and you put on their, that guy's robe. And it was the signal that you had been invited and you were a welcome guest. By the way, from the scriptures, what does him clothing us in his garment represent all through the scriptures? His righteousness. Did you catch that? His righteousness. The Bible talks about the white robes that were be given and those were the, the, righteous, the white robes of the righteousness of the saints that's been given to us by Jesus. But there was a man in there who didn't have a wedding garment on. In other words, his attitude was, I don't need your righteousness. My clothes are good enough. Go back to Ezekiel 33. I told you to put a bookmark there. Go to Ezekiel 33 and look at verses 12 and 13, right after where we just finished off in verse 11. He's just played, begged with him, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why would you die, O house of Israel? Look at verse 12. And you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous, he shall surely live. Yet if he trusts in his righteousness 
and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. All along, he said, if you trust in your own righteousness, you'll never be in. You'll never be good enough. You'll never make it. Why were those Jews that were invited not worthy to come to the wedding feast? Because they didn't respond to the invitation as children and humbly and say, we need you. They thought they were okay. Listen closely now. This is where it gets very important. And because of their rebellion, Jesus is now making it very hard for them to understand any spiritual truth now. Because they closed their own eyes and would not believe the light they had received, Jesus is now speaking to them only in parables with no explanation so that they can't see. Go back to Matthew 13. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and they said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. By the way, why was it given to them but not to the others? They had what? They had humbled themselves. Go ahead. It seems like, as you explain this, it's almost a progressive thing. It is. You also say that Christ often taught to the same people. Oh, yeah. You're going to see. Look what he says. To you it's been given. All right. But to them, it's not been given. Why? Because they didn't respond in humility and faith. But look what he says next. For the one who has, more will be given. Well, that's pretty cool, by the way, for some of you. Let that sink in. For those of you that God has opened you out, your eyes, remember, we've already seen that when the Spirit of God comes and guides us into all the truth, there's more that he wants to reveal to you. But you've got to stay humble. You've got to stay hungry. You've got to stay thirsty. I'm not saying you have to get more saved. No, if you're saved, you're saved. But there's more. There's more spiritual truth that he wants to reveal to you, but it only is revealed on a daily basis to who? The humble. Those who will say, Lord, even though I struggle with understanding this book sometimes, I want to be in it because this is the words of eternal life. I'm going to read it. And I'm going to believe that you're going to show me things. Help me to see this. Not, well, I'm okay. I, I've got most of the Bible pretty much understood. I'm good. Are those people going to receive more? No. But the one who doesn't have anything... Because he didn't humble himself to receive it. Even what he has will be taken away. Now listen closely. I'm going to say something that some of you might not understand, but I hope you all do. When God blinded their eyes to the spiritual truth, these ones who have rejected him, he was giving them mercy. I don't know if you hear, understand what I'm saying, but I want to explain it to you. Because he had offered him and given them light enough for them to respond so that he could give them more insight. But they didn't. In his blinding them to spiritual truth, he's actually showing them mercy. Here's why. Haven't we already studied that on the day of judgment, everyone will be judged and measured with accordance of how much light they've received? And if God, as you talked about earlier, Glenn, knows that they're not going to respond to that light, he cuts the light off so that they'll only be judged in accordance with the measure of light that they've received. If he knows they're not going to respond and he keeps giving them more and more and more light, they're going to be more and more and more accountable. And actually, his shutting their eyes is a merciful thing. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And they quote from Isaiah chapter uh, 6. You'll indeed hear, but never understand. You'll indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear and look closely. And their eyes, who's closed their eyes? They closed their eyes. Folks, if you do a study of back when God deals with Pharaoh, at the beginning, God tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But if you study that story, God was just telling Moses what was going to happen at the end. At the beginning, Pharaoh hardened his own heart many times. And if you study it, you'll see there comes a point where all of a sudden it long, no longer says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There comes a point where God hardens Pharaoh's heart and he shuts the door. Go to John chapter 12.
By the way, as you're turning to John chapter 12, the rest of that section of Matthew says, after it says, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. For years people have read that as Jesus is saying, I don't want to heal them. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if they hadn't closed their eyes, I would have healed them. Isn't that what he said when he came and rode in the, the, on the donkey into Jerusalem on the, the, the day of the Passover uh, feast as he's riding in and he starts to cry? He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known Oh, it brought you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Oh, how I get, wish I could have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. I wanted to. I wanted to heal you. I wanted to do this. The same God who back in Ezekiel said, turn back, turn back. Why should you die? When he says, or else I would have healed them. He's saying, I wanted to, but they shut their eyes. In John chapter 12, look at verses 35 through 40. In John chapter 12, look into verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. And though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Some of your translations say would not believe in him. That's fine. That's what the passage is saying. And that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, because he had done all these signs and they would not believe, the scripture says they could not believe. For again, Isaiah says he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. The Bible is very, very clear that they had the opportunity, they had enough light to respond, but they chose not to. Go to John chapter 3. Isn't that what the scripture says in John chapter 3, starting in verse 16? Listen to what it says. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and in verse 16 he says this. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. By the way, in Acts, you write this down, look at it later on. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, as Stephen's about to be stoned, he says, you stiff-necked individuals, how long will you resist the Holy Spirit? Folks, there are people that teach in Christendom that the Holy Spirit is not resistible. The Bible says he is. Everyone hears. Everyone gets a measure of light to be able to respond and seek God as he says. It's kind of like the game of hide and seek, folks. You know how when you play hide and seek with your kids, you'd say to your kids, hey, go count to 10. I'm going to hide, but you've got to come find me. In the same way, the Bible says that's how God begins this salvation process. No one's looking for God. No one seeks for God, according to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. But God, in his mercy, begins the process, and he sends out, in, through many different ways, ways to say, I'm here. I want you to come look for me. And I'll reward those who diligently seek me. And as people begin to seek for God and they humble themselves and they look for God, he then will bring the next level of light and understanding to reveal to them who Jesus is and their sin and their need of a savior. And they still must respond to that or else they're not in the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Yes, sir. Is that why some churches believe that you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit? Some churches believe you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit, but not for that reason. That's they, not where they get the idea? That's not where they get the idea. Unfortunately, what they do, and, and I'll try to hit this quick without getting us off track too much, but those churches that teach you need a second dose of the Holy Spirit are talking that these people are saved, but they need even more of the Holy Spirit to have power and stuff. 
They get that from John chapter 20 where Jesus rises from the dead and he breathes on him and he says receive the Holy Spirit. But then later on uh, they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus had said you're going to receive power. There are some denominations that actually teach that you get saved and you get the Holy Spirit but then you need another baptism of the Holy Spirit to have power. They don't get it from this. They get it from a misunderstanding of John 20 and Acts 2. But I also say to people very clearly, actually, I'm going to be teaching on this over in Clearwater in a couple of Sundays, first Sunday in February. I'm going to be teaching on this and the fact that the Ephesians chapter 4, verse, clear, verse 4 says very clearly, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But God gives us enough to respond to seek him. And then when we respond to seek him, he then gives us even more understanding about our sin condition, our need of a Savior, and we must respond to that as well. I'm going to get to that and let you see, hopefully see that in just a bit. Um, go to Isaiah 53. We get caught up in Isaiah 53 about the fact that he was bruised or put to death for our transgressions. But I want you to look closely at just verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed what he's heard from us? Did they hear? Yes, they heard. Who has believed what they heard from us? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it goes on and it shows he's done all this. Go to Romans chapter 10. Go to Romans chapter 10. You'll see uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah 53 in Romans 10. There's a passage of scripture here that unfortunately has been taught to say that we need to hurry up and get out there because they're not going to hear unless we preach. And that's not what this passage is really saying. Listen closely. Although God does use us to preach. In Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now how then can they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they not hear or have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. What, God, what God's saying through Paul here in Romans in this section is simply this. Folks, the message of salvation, this gospel has been revealed to you all along. It's been there in the Old Testament all along. How the righteous shall live by faith. How what does God want from you? Act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And David in Psalm 51 says, you don't really desire sacrifice. I give it. What you look for is a broken spirit and a contrite spirit and a broken heart. That's what you won't despise. All along, salvation has been by faith in God's provision for their sin. I can't go any further unless you come with me. That's been there all along. And then he goes on and he says here, guys, God would never expect them to believe in something they've never heard. And he would never expect them to hear something unless someone had preached to them. And he would never expect someone to preach to them unless he had sent them. And all he was saying was, they have heard, they have seen. The arm of the Lord's been revealed. Who's believed what he's heard from us? So hopefully we all are tracking so far to understand that God wants all to be saved. God reveals enough light and truth for all to see and to begin to seek for him. And then man chooses if he'll respond to the light or not. But scripture also shows that even though man is responsible for his response to God's revelation of truth, listen closely, any insight, any understanding did not come from man, but from God himself. If you understand what I'm talking about, it isn't because I explained it well. Actually, the, un, the depth of this has made it so much easier on me as a preacher. You know why? My job is just to tell you what the scripture says and leave it at that. I used to sit and judge how I did, whether or not people were responding. 
And if they didn't come down the aisle when I was a young preacher, I'd beat myself up. Well, maybe I could have done this or maybe I did that. And then if they did walk the aisle, I thought, I did a good job today. Go ahead. Exactly. That's the next passage we're going to. You just quoted the very next thing in my scripture. I love when people are tracking. No, no, that's great. That means that the Holy Spirit's the one talking and you're tracking with me here. Matthew 16, verses 15 through 17. You don't have to turn there, write it down, look at it later on. Matthew 16, 15 through 17. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he has said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father opened your eyes. Go to Romans chapter 3. Again, I quote, you've been in Romans where we left off. Go to Romans 3. Look at verses 10 and 11. I've been quoting this to you. I want you to see it. In Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. So if you even begin to seek for God, did that start with you? No, it started with him. When he began the game of hide and seek, if you will. But you have to humble yourself and go look for him. But he'll reward you if you diligently seek him. But then when you go to him and seek for God, he then will give you more insight and reveal to you. Remember whom the son chooses to reveal him? He'll reveal to you how to go to the father. You remember the story in John chapter 9 of the man who had been born blind? And how Jesus spits in the ground and he makes mud and he puts it on his eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the guy does and he goes and he comes back seeing Jesus opened his eyes. Does that mean he was saved? No, if you remember later in the story, Jesus finds him again and he says, do you believe in the son of man? And the guy says, who is he, sir? That I may believe in him. And then Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. Did you see it? He opened his eyes a little, but he gave him more spiritual truth and he had to respond to it. Folks, that's why people have had all these problems with these passages like Hebrews 6, where it says it's impossible after having once tasted of the heavenly gift, having been enlightened. If you turn back, you're crucifying the son all over again. The, the Bible talks about people who will apostatize or the, commit apostasy of walking away from the faith. The Bible is very, very clear, as we've already looked at last week and other weeks. If you're truly saved and sealed by the spirit, Jesus will lose none that the father's given him. But there are those whom God has not only drawn them and they humbly have sought for him. And then he opened their eyes to who Jesus is. And at that point, knowing full well the truth, he's opened their eyes to the fact that Jesus is the only way and the truth in life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. They reject it. Folks, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be, to know the truth and to walk away. It's one thing to say, I'm seeking God and walk away. It's another thing to get to the level of where God opened your eyes to who Jesus is and to walk away. Remember how Jesus though said, you're going to have the light with you for only a little while longer. Walk is while you still have the light. That's why I will never determine in my mind which of you it's too late for. Because I'm not God and I don't know. And I'm going to, because the scripture teaches it, I'm going to preach to every one of you like you still have a chance. And don't you ever think to yourself, well, I think that God's already stopped drawing that person. No, you're not God. You don't make that call. And Jesus, even though he'd blinded them, was still offering right up to the cross opportunity for them to respond. And we need to have that heart as well. Go to uh, John chapter 6 and look at verses 63 through 65. My favorite passage. It's one of your favorite passages. I love it. In John chapter 6, starting in verse 63, Jesus said, it is the spirit who gives life. Remember, he's the one who opens our eyes. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken. Stop for a second. I can't go any further without dealing with this. How much foolishness is happening in our churches today that we think that we have to help make the word of God relevant? Maybe if we explain it to this way, or maybe if we say it this time, this way, folks, just share the truth. If it's understood, it's understood by God and you get no credit. God gets the glory. Remember at the end of John chapter three, those people don't respond to the light because their works are evil and they don't like the light and they hate the light. But those who do respond to the light, it becomes evident that the work was done by God. 
Folks, that's how this all works together in a way that hopefully helps you grasp it. Let me just explain. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that the wind blows wherever it wills and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. If anybody can tell you they understand completely how this salvation thing works, they're lying to you. We don't fully understand how the wind works and we don't fully understand uh, how, the people, how people are saved. But we do have enough revelation here to let us know that everybody hears Everybody has a measure of understanding and opportunity. And then God gives more light for those who humble themselves and begin to seek him. And they still must respond to that when he opens their eyes to who Jesus is. But if they do respond, who gets all the credit? First off, God, because no one would have sought him unless he began and said, come. And on top of that, if they do understand it, spiritual truth, he opened their eyes. And it isn't because anybody was smart or figured it out. In John chapter 6, look at verses 63 through 65. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who didn't believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by my father. Again, a verse that those who think that God's already going to save certain people and he's rejected automatically from birth, these other people... They use these verses to say that God's only going to reveal. No, no, listen closely. Whom does God reveal Jesus to? The humble. Those who say, I need God. And they search for him. And he then puts light in their path and uses people like us or missionaries or wherever. And he opens their eyes to the truth. Have they heard? Yeah, they all have. This whole, we got to hurry up and get off our rear ends and get the gospel out. Because if we don't tell them, they won't hear. You don't understand who God is and how he works. He doesn't need us. He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he said, the fields are wide unto harvest, but the laborers are few. And he wasn't saying because we don't have enough laborers. He had just said in chapter 7, those who go to heaven are few. Wide's the path that goes to destruction, and many go that way. Narrows the road that leads to eternal life, and only few find it. You shouldn't be surprised that Jesus said there's only a few laborers. There's only a few that are going to be saved. But what does he say right after that? The fields are wide under harvest, but the laborers are few. What does he say next? Ask the Lord. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. Folks, take a deep breath. This salvation thing isn't up to us. It's up to him. But he'll reward those of us who are humble enough to let him use us however he chooses. Don't think, well, I'm not good at it. The flesh is no help at all. It's the spirit who gives life. All we're supposed to do is tell them. And if they get it, don't pat yourself on the back. You had nothing to do with it. If they reject it, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Lord. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But you don't have to turn there. In verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God gave the growth. It's not up to us. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start in verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, for Paul says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. By the way, I love that verse because every Bible study at some point, Allison will laugh at me because of how my tongue gets tangled. She's a grammatician and nobody likes them. And, uh, uh, <laughs> but thank God it isn't how eloquent I am. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. On my website, if you actually go to the main page of my website, I quote this passage. It's on my website and how God's going to use the foolishness of preaching to accomplish his, past, his work. I had a lady contact me. I don't remember where in the country she was. She said, I really don't like that you put that the preaching is foolish. I said, I'm quoting the Bible there. <laughs> she goes, really? I'm like, yeah, go read First Corinthians. She called back later. I'm sorry. I just didn't like that you called preaching foolish. Well, God did it first. I just quoted him. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Remember, it's been this way all along. He gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and a sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. People have said to me over the years, Jim, if you believe that man has to, has to respond, then he has a part in his salvation. Uh, no, we have a responsibility. But if I respond, God did it. Well, how does that work? Nobody knows. And leave it there. That's okay. Don't hurt yourself trying to explain it or figure it out. Just respond to what's been revealed to you. But we're going to close in our last section in the time we have here and go back to Matthew 13. I'm going to do this in three minutes. We can do it. Go to Matthew 13. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus says at the end of all this, blessed, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Instead of trying to figure out how God accomplishes this salvation, why don't we just thank him for it? Write these verses down. I want you to double check me and go look at it later on. But in Luke chapter 10, Verses 17 through 24, the 72 come back and they report to Jesus all that they had done. And they said, even the demons respond to us in your name. They're pretty hopped up. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 take it easy. Because I saw Satan fall from heaven. And don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you, but just rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Folks, one of the things that's hurt Christendom is the fact that there are a lot of Christians who think they're smarter than other Christians. And they think they figured things out that their brother or sister doesn't understand. But the Bible says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And Jesus takes all this spiritual truth and says, but you know what? Just be happy that he's opened your eyes. Blessed are your eyes for they see. Because many prophets long to see what you're seeing right now. And what he's talking about is him on the earth fulfilling the prophecies. Write this one down too. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10, and 12, 10 through 12. Peter says that uh, the prophets long searching intently as to what was being written through them by the Spirit as to the times and the seasons of what it is that we're getting to experience. You see, people like Daniel were given visions of the Son of Man that was going to approach the ancients of days and how he's going to receive a kingdom and all these things. And Daniel even says, when's this going to be? Ah, this is pretty amazing stuff. When's this going to happen? And in chapter 12, God says to him, you're going to go to sleep with your fathers and these words are going to be sealed up until the time of the end. But then he tells John on the Isle of Patmos, unseal the words because the time is near. And we're now living in the days that the prophecies were talking. I remember in Isaiah 53, it talked about this one who was going to come and he was going to suffer for the sins of the people and all this. And in Acts chapter 8, you got the Ethiopian eunuch who was sitting there, who was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah 53. And he says to Philip, he says, who's Isaiah writing about? Is he writing about himself or somebody else? The Bible actually says that Isaiah had those same questions. But we are in a time period in which God has given us much more light than everybody else. Not just that, we've got much more light because we have now got himself living within us to guide us into all the truth, to help us understand things. But do you have to go to seminary to get it? You just have to humble yourself. And on a daily basis, if you're willing to say, Lord, 
teach me what you want me to see today, he who has had revealed to him will be given more. All I say to you is this. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that there's still an offer of salvation. That offer to come to his rest still stands. Because the Hebrew writer says, if what God was talking about only was applying to the time of Moses when the people were offered rest, but they didn't mix it with belief and with faith, and so they missed out on his promised land. If that was all God was talking about, then God wouldn't have said through David years later, today, don't harden your heart, and you can enter his rest. Go ahead. At church this week, uh, First Baptist in Deerlandpit, mm -hmm. the pastor was giving statistics on how many homes have Bibles, and then how many get opened and Read, right. Read then he showed such a powerful little short film about the people of Papua that they were getting Bibles delivered in crates, and those people were all dressed in their native dress, you know, like uh, feast festival dress and mm -hmm. everything. And they were jumping up and down and singing and praying and crying and everything that they were getting the word in their language. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What happens to us, as you, if for those of you who couldn't hear what she was saying, she's talking about how she saw this video about how the people of Papua New Guinea had gotten these crates of Bibles and they celebrated because they had the word in their language. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And it wouldn't hurt any of us to maybe before we go to bed tonight, be reminded and say, Lord, thank you that you have opened my eyes. Keep me from thinking that I'm smarter than my brother and my sister. And at the same time, as your salvation is accomplished by you and your world, if you want to use me, I'm ready. Love you all. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.